What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. My name is Tom Westerholm. I am joined today by Chris Grenham and our good pal over at MassLive.com, Brian Robb. B-Rob, how you doing, man? I'm good. I'm fired up for another Celtics signing here, guys. The news just does not stop. It doesn't stop. Brad Stevens is the most active GM in NBA history as he adds Jawan Morgan to this roster. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to hand out some grades for the offseason. Let, let's start with Jawan Morgan. I think, I mean, obviously not like a, a super high impact signing per se, but I do think there is a, like a non-zero chance that he makes the roster. Uh, B-Rob, Granham, what do you guys make of bringing Jawan Morgan aboard? I think he kind of fights with Jabari a little bit for that slot, right? I think that would make a lot of sense. He has more upside than Jabari Parker at this point. He's 24 years old. He played in some playoff games for the Jazz. I don't know. I just think it makes a lot of sense for him to kind of fight for that last spot. It would be a really, really good player to get in the two-way slot if they could work that out. I know that that two-way option in Boston is of interest to Morgan and his agent. So that's a good thing for the Celtics. Say they wanted to keep Parker around. Like Gary Washburn talked about it a lot last year, having two-way guys who, when injuries pop up, whatever, when the depth goes away and you need those guys to step up and actually play minutes, Juwan Morgan is a guy who could do that, much more so than Taco Fall and Tremont Waters. So I think that is a pretty great scenario if the Celtics can find a way to slide him into that second two-way slot. Juwan Morgan started a playoff game for the Jazz, right? He did. Yeah. Uh, two years ago? Yeah, they must have had a lot of yeah. injuries. But no, it's, it's funny that, I mean, you guys mentioned obviously he's competing with Parker. Is it fair to say these guys are on the very opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of like, we're going to go with the offense first guy after Jabari or the defense first guy who can do very little offensively in Morgan here. So, I mean, there could be room for both to your point if the two-way slot, which honestly for any player now, it's a pretty, like you get paid on a two-way deal, especially when you're, yeah. when they've changed the rules now. And so you're not, you're not, you're not obviously not making a full like minimum deal, but you're getting, you know, more than halfway there and along with plenty of opportunity to play for the big club. So yeah, I think it's just going to be like, how does he look in camp? Do they need that extra defensive combo forward presence off the bench? And to be honest, I think I think they do based on how the, the roster construction is right now. If you look at Jawan Morgan, you might kind of see some shades, at least in his NBA kind of archetype, you might see some shades of Grant, but a, a little bit taller, like a stocky, strong guy, yeah. kind of that tweener role. You know, I think everybody thought and hoped that Grant would shoot a little bit better from three-point range, but Morgan and Grant have uh, roughly similar uh, three-point profiles, unfortunately, because I do think that Jawan Morgan would have a not insignificant NBA career if he was like a reliable three-point shooter at all. Like he's got that kind of body type and everything. So, I mean, we'll see. He has not shown that at all at the NBA level yet. And I'm not sure I, I feel particularly good about it. I mean, I, I like to imagine that the Celtics brought on Jawan Morgan to keep to keep Romeo Langford happy. I mean, you gotta you gotta do whatever you can to keep Romeo Langford in a Celtics uniform. That is the last true Juwan Morgan that I watched in his last year in Indiana, where he was pretty good, but he was like the classic good kind of tweener big man at the college level. And like, ah, he's a good player, but I don't really know what he's going to do at the next level. And I still don't really know what he's going to do at the next level. But I think, again, good guy to add at the back of the roster, a familiar face for Romeo Langford, which, as we've said all offseason, the goal of this front office is to make life easier for Romeo Langford. And that's what this Juwan Morgan addition does during trade camp. Brad Stevens keeps saying that everything is trying to make the life easier for the Celtic Stars. If Juwan Morgan can make Romeo Langford's life easier, he fits right into that role. Can he guard wings at all? Like, I know he's 6'7". I mean, can he do anything defensively that Grant, you know, kind of beyond just being three inches taller? Like, obviously, Grant really struggled with the fouling last year. So I wonder if this is like, okay, not that Grant's roster spot's in jeopardy here, but I wonder if they just want like an alternative for 
that kind of roll off the bench if, if injuries hit. So at the collegiate level, I, I did not think that Jawan Morgan moved his feet particularly well. There's things where he is like a six eight tweener. So it's like, if you could shoot threes, you would definitely have an NBA role. If you could move your feet a little bit better, again, like, you know, he's six eight, so he is taller than Grant. I mean, you know, Grant, I, I don't know what he's listed at, but he is not a tall, like uh, not, not a tall forward slash whatever you want to call him. So like Morgan does have a little bit more size, but there, there's a reason he played all four years in college. There wasn't much to like separate him to the NBA level. So yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting to hear you say like Morgan is, is the guy for defense, whereas Jabari is the guy for some, some limited offense. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm not entirely sure how much of either either guy gives you. Right. For a 15th man, Mike, though. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Like you have to have an NBA skill. It's certainly not offense for this for Morgan. No. <laughs> so not. like, I would imagine defense is what he potentially brings to the table. Honestly, I think it's size. I think it's just the it fact is. that like, you know, the Celtics, I mean, sometimes you just need a big body out there. Having Shemi Ojale gave you a big body. He's very strong and Shemi moves a lot better than, than Morgan does. But at the same time, like sometimes you just need that guy who's like going to be kind of in the way if Giannis is running at the rim or, you mm-hmm. know, if, if whoever is running at the rim. And I mean, I don't think the Celtics are going to be looking to Morgan to do that very often, but I suspect that's more the calculus than like, you know, some kind of, you know, maybe he can guard a bunch of different positions. Maybe he can shoot threes. I think it's more just like, yeah, sometimes you're playing NBA basketball. You just need like a big dude. I am guessing neither of you two watched all that much of the jazz at summer league, but he was like, he was pretty, I want to watch a minute of the jazz. He was, he's just so limited on offense. Like, that's accepted, I think, at this point. I think who would you I'd compare like... him to on offense, Grantham? Like, who's well, like? Well, I like the Grant comparison because he does actually provide things defensively where he moves better than he once did. Like, Grant moves better than he did at Tennessee. Juwan moves better than he did at Indiana. But That's without cool. an outside shot, there's nothing there on the offensive end. Like, he doesn't move well enough to take you off the dribble, and he doesn't provide any real threat along the perimeter. So. I actually like the comparison you made, B-Rob, just Celtics-wise to Grant because there's just no true offensive upside in, in my mind here, which is disappointing. But I still think he's better than a lot of other options you could get at the end of the roster just because of the defensive help. I mean, with Hauser on the two-way deal too, it's like, not that they play the same position, but having both those guys there at least will give you, you know, it's two different players, but again, one's an offense guy, one's a defense guy. And that's, <laughs> and that's something, again, the last couple of years, the two-day we did, it was like for as much as everyone loved Taco and, and Sherman initially, like their size made them very limited in terms of when you could use them. And that became obviously a big issue last year when injuries and COVID piled up and they were just not viable alternatives. It does also, seem like t- maybe it makes more sense to have two normal NBA sized guys <laughs> as opposed to yeah. like the shortest guy and the tallest guy in the league. Yeah. Like maybe just kind of have normal dudes like also if we're talking front court here is luke Cornette coming to camp what's the status here luke is um i think probably looking in europe right now i would imagine i mean if you if you look at the list of available free agents still out there there's a lot of guys out there he'll get a camp invite somewhere but luke Cornette getting on a roster this year is going to be very tough like obviously yeah. here or anywhere so Again, as the crop of, you know, rookies come out and now you get some of the high school kids coming out future, there's just going to be fewer and fewer spots for these, you know, fringe guys that are four or five years into their career. If you, if you don't have any kind of upside or, or useful skill that definitely translates, then 
it's going to be a tough sell to stick around. This is not any kind of breaking news, but it is just so hard to be an NBA player. Like it's brutal. Like you really have very little time to try to like prove yourself and break into a break into a rotation somewhere. And I do think that now as the international game has grown, like there's more opportunities to go overseas and then maybe come back where maybe that wasn't the case before. But like, like you said, B-Rod, there's a lot of good players still out there. A lot of real NBA players still out there. And that leaves a lot of guys in the dust, which is tough. So I do think it's kind of interesting how the Celtics clear a lot of house in terms of some of the younger guys so far like that were on the roster last year that are just not coming back I mean you talk about like Shemi Ojale you know Carson Edwards obviously like two-way guys like Tremont and and Taco and I I think it's interesting it seems pretty clear to me and I think we probably all could have predicted this but Brad just must have gotten so fed up trying to deal with all of the young guys that Danny just plopped in his lap Danny Ainge likes to wait for guys to break through and maybe Brad Stevens was kind of sick of it at that point but even like on the back end of this roster what if he does bring in Juwan Morgan as a two-way deal like even far down the roster he's bringing in older guys you know what I mean that's always kind of been not a joke but everyone has always been like well Brad loves the vets and Danny likes the kids now it's kind of like well yeah Brad does like the older guys it seems like and I think he's making that kind of apparent with a lot of his moves this offseason which I think helps the roster quite a bit it's a situation where when you are at a point in Tatum and Brown's career now where it's like all right these guys are in win now mode you have waited on guys for a couple of years and it has not worked well you can't have young guys take up six, seven spots on the 15-man roster and then have very young green guys on two-way deals too. It's just like there's too much youth there, which I think we saw last year, or just not enough reliable options for any coach. And so this year, I think, again, the roster is kind of being remade to at least give different variations. And yeah, some of those young guys are still going to get plenty of opportunity here, but you're not going to have an overload of them because you know, you're going to stick with the ones who who have shown something. So let, let's get into some grades here for the offseason. Obviously, I think like not over yet, but certainly anything else that happens during this offseason is going to happen around the margins will probably happen during training camp. So I think we can pretty safely evaluate how we think Brad did. B-Rob, I'll, I'll throw it to you first. I mean, just kind of your, your overall thoughts and then like how you would grade Brad's offseason and, and why you get there. I think Brad's made probably the best of bad situation. Yeah, it's, it's tough. You have to see how these guys look. Richard Century, like it's a lot of stuff that makes sense on paper and you can make a strong case for. And I do like the fact that they were able to dump salary and put together a roster that should be able to compete in the middle of the pack in the East without having to give up anything up in the future, which I do think is important here in terms of maintaining future assets. The Smart and Rob Williams, all those extensions, like it's just too early to judge those. Like, yeah, they they should be good value deals. But if Rob Williams gets hurt again this year and, you know, Smart is just not able to handle full time point duties. And then those are contracts I can look at. But with the Campbell of Horford deal, with uh, getting Richardson for nothing, getting Schroeder for, you know, six million. I mean, I think it's, I think a harsh grade, I think a B plus and with the easily the ability to go up to an A if things turn around in terms of the, the younger guys. But I think it was a good job. It wasn't the home run home run, but I think you can't argue with anything you've done really so far. I would agree. I mean, I think coming into the offseason, there were so little resources for Stevens to work with. And the fact that he was able to improve the team is a win in itself. I might even go an A minus, honestly, because of how little they really had. And I think flipping Kemba Walker to get Al Horford in return, who can be a pretty productive player, I think, on this roster 
is a nice win. I think, as we've talked about on Geno Time in the past, getting some adults in the room in Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder for that bargain deal, which seemed to almost kind of fall in their lap. That was a fantastic deal. I just think they didn't have a lot to work with, yet they improved the roster and they didn't get sucked into the Evan Fournier stuff, which they easily could have ended up paying him a ton of money, handcuff him down the road, and instead they've got some nice wiggle room in 22-23. So I think they did a nice job of, with little resources, improving the roster for this season. We'll also also keeping some flexibility moving forward because now, yeah, you have the extensions that they did, but some of those are some tradable pieces now moving forward. You basically have a nice situation with Josh Richardson where if he exceeds what they're paying him right now, then they have him locked up for an additional year. If not, you get a tradable deal. So little things like that, that I think kind of worked as multifaceted moves for the Celtics. I'll actually go A minus because I think it was a pretty productive offseason. You know, B-Rob, you mentioned that all of Brad Stevens' moves like make sense on paper, right? And it's like... I'm, I'm interested in how people evaluate off-season moves because like things that make sense on paper are basically all you can do, right? Like all, all you can do is just kind of be like, okay, here are the things that, that line up that, that make sense with like our vision for the team. And yes, we went and got Josh Richardson because we think he can help now. And also there's future flexibility. And it's like, okay, so Richardson checks like all the boxes that can reasonably be done this off-season. And I know a lot of times evaluators are like, well, you can't, you can't evaluate a draft until a, a few years down the road or you can't evaluate, you know, an off-season until... You, you see the results. I'm not sure how to go about that because if you evaluate it immediately, you know, you have more context, right? You, you have like the context of like, okay, yeah. here's what the Celtics were and here's, you know, what they're trying to do. And so, you know, I almost think that it makes the most sense to evaluate it on paper, like as it's going. So I, I lean toward Grenham with the A minus, you know, with, with that kind of that high end, I guess, of if we all agree that Brad had a pretty good off season, I would lean more toward the high end of it than the low end of it. Just because, yeah, we don't know how Richardson or Schroeder or any of these guys or Horford are going to work out. I mean, maybe Kemba comes back next season and plays like, you know, 75 games in New York and, you know, makes all NBA third team or something, you know, like things could go wrong, but based on everything we know with the context we have right now, all of Brad Stevens moves make a lot of sense. And I think that was also kind of the case. If you'd slowed down, maybe accepting the 2019 NBA draft, most of Danny Ainge's moves, I think fit in that same mold where like you could very much see the rationale at the time, maybe not like, you know, signing Greg Monroe or whatever, but a lot of moves that Danny made, you could kind of see the rationale very much at the time they made sense on paper and to me i don't know how else you can really evaluate moves in real time if that makes sense yeah i guess the b plus for me is probably with the extensions from the standpoint of that that's something where that's a bit of a gamble because if you wait a little bit there then you could potentially get better value in a year from now if there's injuries that come up or smart just isn't a fit or you decide okay hey like smart smart hurts his trade value so that's that's where i kind of knock you know doesn't make it a clear cut day for me but at the same time you know those extensions could work out very well for the team if rob williams breaks out or or smart has a real big bounce back season or just having the security makes those guys play better period like that's where you know it's tough to gauge but i agree with you like initially everything else you have to evaluate as is like last offseason i think you know no one thought ainge got an f for that off season initially i guess on this paper i was like oh this could work thompson should kind of fit here and then we we all saw how that worked out you go back and look at it and you're like oh well who could they really have gotten if they didn't sign tristan thompson and honestly the list wasn't that great so you have to look at it like you know both sides it's so evaluating in the moment i think is just as, as important as anything else 
So obviously, I think the biggest moves of this offseason were the extensions. Do we still feel pretty good about the future flexibility, the chances the Celtics have to, to move forward? Because I think the thing that could derail this offseason is if, you know, like you said, B-Rob, if these extensions aren't that valuable, if if down the line the Celtics put themselves in a place where it is going to be harder to pick up that last, you know, that that third superstar and, you know, their guys haven't necessarily panned out. I mean, if there was something that would turn this offseason, you know, these offseason grades bad, it's that, right? You know, maybe they handcuff themselves to some deals they might not want, and, and maybe they just don't have a chance to go out and get that guy. So, I mean, does that seem fair to say that, like, if there is a downside to this offseason, it's just that, like, there is a low floor if a bunch of things break the wrong way? Yeah, I think, again, that's the the biggest one. The signings, even the Horford for Kemba trade, that was a money-motivated deal. So that's not going to change. Even if right. Kemba breaks out, you're still going to be like, okay, that, great for Kemba. That's too bad he couldn't do that here. But like, we probably still prefer having that money flexibility for the long term. But yeah, that's when, again, if, if Rob, if all those guys that got extensions take a step back, you know, whether it's injuries or just on-court performance. And so you you lose potential free agent flexibility you could have opened and their value in a trade has also taken a step back. That's when you're left with, okay, this looked like a good idea at the time, but actually we probably should have been more patient with these guys. The contracts aren't use, are big enough where that shouldn't be a huge issue for any of these guys, I feel like. It is important to talk about the potential downsides of these extensions, right? Because I feel like a lot of us, at least on past pods and whatever, have focused on the upside. But you're right. Say Josh Richardson is terrible. Like right now, it looks like a value deal. It works for both sides because there wasn't a whole lot of money out there next offseason. So it makes sense for him to kind of want to stick around here too with the extension. But what if he's terrible? And then the Celtics are trying to use him as a trade piece, but he has no on-court value at all, even at that money. Then that's a problem. Rob Williams gets hurt. His contract looks significantly less appealing. There's a lot of things that could go wrong. So that is definitely the case when you're looking at the floor of these extensions. But I think that's what it all comes down to is the extensions because that impacts your future flexibility, which is what we've talked about for so long. Yeah, I feel like the major downside for this offseason is like, you know, like you said, you know, some of these contracts that look like value deals, you know, go down, go real down in value. And then like Evan Fournier and Kemba Walker just become this dynamic backcourt duo that complement Julius Randle perfectly in New York. And just like there are avenues for this to go very like the floor could be low. It's not guaranteed. I think the reason why we would all hand out good grades is because the floor doesn't seem particularly likely. I do agree with B-Rob in a sense that those moves were so money motivated that even if Kemba and Fournier were to be tremendous, that might be far worse for the fan base and maybe people who support the Celtics who like have trouble stomaching that. Whereas the Celtics would be like, well, I'm glad they're doing well, but we just couldn't have them on our books right now because for what we want to do down the line. So it'd be interesting to hear what that would actually do to the front office and if they would actually be frustrated with that. But I think even if Kemba does play well, even if Fournier does play well, I think there's a lot of people in the front office that would probably say, no, we we would still stick out those deals for the future flexibility, which I think makes a lot of sense. To your point, Gretam, you know, like if Richardson is bad, if any of these guys are bad, I don't think that that necessarily takes the Celtics out of a lot of these conversations, even if those guys are part of the salary matching. I think it just hurts because it probably means that more picks are headed out the door, you yeah. know, in some form or another, if they are trying to make one of these big trades. It's like, yeah, like, wow, Wow, Richardson, you were terrible this year, and now we have to attach another first. Whatever it might be. Interesting to see where that goes. 
Last thing before we go here, if that's the floor, I don't think any of us think that there's any chance this team is like competing for an Eastern Conference finals or something like that. Maybe, maybe somebody does. I don't know. But what do we think kind of this, the ceiling is for this offseason where it's like, okay, B-Rob's going to take this to a, you know, to an A, you know, me and Greta might take this to an A plus. Like how, how does the grade rise based on, on, on what we've seen so far? I think you look at a couple of things. This isn't offseason related, but Tatum and Brown, you know, make the leap with a better supporting cast around them or that makes more sense. And to be honest, like the best case scenario for a lot of these, if everyone hits best case scenario, I don't think it's like, I think this team could push its way into like the East finals or something like that. If, if Horford looks like a couple years ago and, and Rob, you know, plays like he did in game one and Richardson and Schroeder at their best, I think those are fifth, sixth, seventh, like good options to have in those kind of role for, for the posting. Do I think that's all going to happen? No. I think that's like, it's a pretty good odds that like a couple of those guys have down years or there's injuries that come up or whatever, but at least I think have enough talent now where you could, there is some version of where if everything goes right, then yeah, you can, you're not going to like beat the Nets, but you could, you give like the Bucks or the Heat a series. I think that's totally conceivable. Yeah, my jump would have to come on the offensive side because as I've talked about before, that's my biggest concern with this team. I don't think there's a whole lot of offensive depth really at all. I think they're going to be a really good defensive team. And I think there's a good chance that they could utilize that defensive versatility with a coach like Ime Udoko, who loves that end of the floor, to be a top 10, top five defensive team. And if they can find some of these, you know, middle of the roster guys to really pick up some slack on offense where you're not, you know, really, really, really riding on Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum every single night. That helps a ton because, again, I think they are going to be a good defensive team, but I'm just worried about their offense. So if you can have guys like Josh Richardson step up from maybe closer to where he was in Miami than where he was in Dallas or Philly, guys like Marcus Smart who find a little more consistency on the offensive end with with the ball in his hands and Peyton Pritchard steps up, that kind of thing, that's a pretty good team. They can make a little run here or there. Again, no true contender here, but they could do a little bit of, a little bit of damage. But I think for me, it all revolves around what this team kind of turns into on the offensive end, because that's my biggest concern. Yeah, it makes me kind of wonder how much like maybe uh, as an archetype, maybe you're looking at like the 2019-20 Raptors, right? Where they're yeah. like a really good defensive team that was best when it got out into transition. And I think the difference between this team, again, this is like the, the high end scenario, but the difference between that team and this year's Celtics is that this year's Celtics have an actual offense creator, right? Where it's like, if everything breaks down, you can give it to Tatum and he will get a shot up of some kind or another. You know, that I think maybe is, is, is yeah, kind of the, the rosy outlook. Granted, I'm with you. I, I kind of worry about the Celtics lack of a dynamic offensive option at point guard especially you know smart's a really good distributor but we will see well we will leave it there want to give a big thank you to b-rob for hopping on you can find all of his work over at masslive.com as always again if you uh, have any questions comments or concerns you know where to find us and we will talk to you all again later this week